Some 10,000 federal employees working in Europe will soon be eligible for the American Federation of Government Employees. AFGE has launched a new local as it expands coverage in Europe. Here with details, AFGE's special assistant, Peter Winch. Mr. Winch, good to have you here in studio. Good morning. Glad to be here. Give us the situation now for employees in Europe. This is not a brand new footprint for AFGE entirely, is it? AFG is the largest federal employee union and the largest union for DOD employees. That's the main group that's in Europe. And we've always had a few members in Europe, and we're trying to get a lot more right now. So the Department of Defense then dwarfs, say, the State Department presence or USAID and some of the other agents that have a regular foreign overseas presence? That's right. Recently, the Biden administration made available Uh, information about federal employees who don't currently have a union and could be organized. And they're showing about 10,000 federal civilian employees in Europe. Almost all of them are from Department of Defense. And you are forming a local, so it's really a geographical local more than an agency local or a function like Social Security or VA. Those 10,000 More than a 1,000 of them work for Defense Health Agency, which is a newly created part of DOD. And although it's Europe-wide, most of them are in Germany. That's where the concentration of federal civilian employment is in Europe. So that's 1,000. What about the other 9,000? They typically work for the Army or the Navy. One of our existing locals is at Naval Air Station Naples, and we're trying to build that local up as well. What we hope is that this new local, Local 14, will spawn other uh, locals will hold FLRA recognition elections like for Defense Health Agency Europe region, and we'll go from there. And we're getting a tremendous amount of interest. People have been calling us really since Biden has been elected. We get a lot of issues raised to us and no recourse for federal employees. So we want to give the federal employees over in Europe some recourse. And when you say FLRA, selection to organize under the Federal Labor Relations Authority? Yes, I'm sorry. The acronym so Federal Labor Relations Authority ensures that federal employees have the right to a secret ballot election on union representation if they want one. And it appears to us that many federal employees in Europe do want to have a union. So AFG is ready to be that union for them. Right. Now, when they have that election and say, yes, we want to do this, that doesn't automatically get AFGE in there. What if they said, well, NTEU or something? (laughs) We have to gather a showing of interest from the federal employees in order to ask the FLRA to hold an election. So So you will be sort of there before the election, and therefore you would presume, well, since they got us to this point, that's the union we want. We now have one of my colleagues living in Germany and able to provide representation for people who join AFG in Europe, especially in Germany, but Europe-wide. And uh, his name's Javier Soto, and he's been an uh, AFG attorney for many years now. He's living in Germany and ready to represent dues-paying members over there with uh, EEO complaints, uh, Merit System Protection Board, and other statutory-type complaints. Uh, we don't have a negotiated grievance procedure in place yet, but that would be our ultimate aim. We're speaking with Peter Winch. He's special assistant to the national vice president for District 14 of the American Federation of Government Employees. Now there's District 13 that's going away. You're reorganizing a little bit the union itself there, correct? Um, Originally, the AFG districts were set up on the old Civil Service Commission, and there were 15 of them. The 15th district, we 
emerged with the 14th some time ago, and it covered Europe. So at times we had several locals in Europe. But as I say, we only have one of those remaining. But what happened was Department of Defense put in a rotation policy. Most of our members had to rotate out after a couple of years. We lost our leadership, you know. And now things are different. Post-COVID, we can do a lot on teleconferencing. We have an uh, uh, AFG lawyer station in Germany, and we're ready to use new technology to rebuild in Europe, and that's what's different. Got it. And you do have some employees in Europe in DOD already. Defense Contract Management Agency Europe is organized and part of AFG. I, I happen to have organized them a few years ago. We want to do similar things with Defense Logistics Agency, which has a large warehouse operation, logistics operation in Germany. And uh, federal civilian employment is growing in Europe because of some of the tensions and conflicts that we hear about in the Ukraine and so on. And what's the selling proposition? Why should someone want to join AFGE? What we hear is that, like Defense Health Agency, instead of a two- or three-year rotation, they're now offering a seven-year rotation, which is pretty much permanent employment in Europe. But you have to stay in your supervisor's good graces at all times or right back to the States you go. And that is not the kind of process that AFG favors. We favor due process and predictability. We think DOD should start moving away from this rotation idea in general But we think federal employees deserve to be able to be whistleblowers, to raise questions on the job and not have the threat of being returned to the United States immediately, which is where they are now. And when they are returned to the United States outside of the regular rotation or even at the point of rotation, they stay with the same agency? Generally speaking, it's back to a a base where you worked previously if you're Defense Contract Management Agency. That agency, they work in a, often they work doing quality control in a defense contractor plant, and so they'd come back to the United States. So the worry is if they blow the whistle now and get immediately rotated, they could be rotated from a nice office doing brain power type of work to being relegated to a steel desk at the back of a warehouse with nothing to do. Perhaps, Tom. But these are, if I'm a quality, That's how my assu- mind runs, if I'm a quality assurance worker, in Europe, I'll come back and do that same work in Georgia or wherever I came from. There's an attraction to working in Europe, which is why they started this rotation. But some of the reasons DOD offered was that technology was different. Those things just don't apply anymore. And it would be better to have the stable workforce, especially in medical fields. You want to have a continuity of care and you don't want your doctors rotating out. Nurses and doctors are very hard to hire right now. And you don't want to have this really not defensible rotation policy continuing. So it's more predictable and more stable then for both the employee and the agency. AFG is a mission-supporting union. We support DOD's mission. And what we're trying to do in Europe is to be a mission-supporting union, to have an advocate on the job for your interests as a federal employee and to support the mission of your DOD agency. And what are the timelines and schedules here? I mean, when does this election take place? When does it get certified? And how long will this all take? Well, we would hope to file for an election at Defense Health Agency continent-wide. And we have a new logo, which is based on our U.S. logo, but the map of Europe. And we have a new card for people to fill out if they want to have an election at their workplace. And if they contact AFG and we're getting a lot of contacts. They can join by what we call e-dues. So I've worked for District 14. 
We have local 14, and the dues are $14 if you're an at-large member. And if we succeed in these elections, it'll be $20, and you get all the benefits of membership then. But you hope for that election to take place in 2023? I believe with the interest we've gotten, our plan would be to file a few elections this year and to build up a real presence in Europe with hundreds of members. And after an election, say the majority of people at a particular site say, yes, we want this, is there an audit process before FLRA certifies it? The ballot goes to the eligible employees and they vote. The choice of no union must always appear on the ballot in the federal government. If they vote for union representation, AFG is certified, and then DOD has a legal obligation to bargain in good faith with AFGE. All right. Well, good luck on that whole drive. Peter Winch is special assistant to the National Vice President for District 14 of the American Federation of Government Employees. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a, um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you. It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, as I was leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms. Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama. And there was no law in Alabama as I was growing up that required black kids to go to school. I was kind of shut off from formal education on a consistent basis. I didn't get a chance to go to school full-time until I was in the seventh grade. We lived on property there that were owned by um, the white landowners. And so the um, owner of the property, a white woman, would bring down to this little shanty that we lived in, and she would bring Look and Life magazines 
My mom, uh, she would make us as children plaster these pages of looking life magazines against the wall of this little shanty to keep the cold wind out. I would take a kerosene lamp and go around the walls reading those articles in looking life magazines, which is when I first came across the phrase of Horace Mann. Hmm. From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story, and two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. You know, that to me is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you recognized that you could do more and sought out to do that and were successful at it. So when you think back on that experience, how has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State? It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment, what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were literate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential and they didn't realize it would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never ever about positions that would enable me simply to replicate privilege. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what type of family you came from. I think that's where sometimes we kind of get education wrong. Uh, we have institutions that want to define themselves uh, based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite, taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things, perhaps, at um, larger organizations. But you're where you want to be on purpose, by design, for the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's, it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And, you know, I flirted with a couple of them, and I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about these institutions that were coming after me. I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, now, are you finished? Clearly, we are not understanding why you would even consider leaving Morgan. It just reassured me uh, that I'm living my purpose at Morgan. And it is joyful uh, to be at a place where you want to be versus being at a place where others think you should be. One question that I always have to ask, is there one leader or maybe a couple of leaders that have inspired you, that have you mentioned Horace Mann. I don't know if, if that fits in this category, but what might be a couple of leaders that you remember that, that inspired you, that gave you a purpose, helped shape your life? In 1989, when I was selected as a W.K. Kellogg Fellow, we had to be introduced to leadership that was 
different in a lot of ways than the leadership that we have been exposed to. In February of 1990, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela was released, and that's where I wanted to go and meet Mr. Mandela. We had no idea that he would grant an audience, and he did. He granted an wow. audience, and uh, Mr. Walter Sasulu did as well. So here I am, having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Sosulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion? He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness towards a society that locked me away for all of those years because I and others like me knew that what we were doing was the right thing. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing, there should never, ever be any space in your heart for anger or bitterness. And that was transformational for me and why I respect and admire Mr. Nelson Mandela and Mr. Walter Sisulu today. That is a great story, and it, you know, with all the accomplishments through your life, I'm sure it had a great impact on your ability to, to go as far as you have, and you're still going. Well, uh, I, I have a takeaway in, in terms of leadership lessons I've learned. We would be well served as a nation if I think we created these opportunities for young people at various stages to really, first of all, see the United States. And then we need that same opportunity globally. As a result, when you do that, you understand the history over here, you understand the culture over here, you understand, and you got to understand the world beyond an intellectual understanding. You want to think of your maturation in a way where your brain can never, ever, ever be hacked. <laughs> so that's sort of the way, that's sort of I, the I way that I kind of see all of that. That's you know? brilliant. <laughs> And um, being born in rural southwest uh, Kansas, flyover country, as they say, I can, I can tell you that your, your comments about travel and getting out, not just reading about it, but actually traveling, it, it really is important. It's absolutely critical for someone's personal development. I, I, I happen to think so. Well, Dr. <laughs> David Wilson, thank you so much. I love every single piece of today, but also your life story. It's really impressive, inspiring, and thank you for sharing it. Shane, thank you very much for inviting me to have this conversation with you again. And I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. We'll see you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.